0: Welcome to Queer Conversation. In today's episode, we will meet Peter Tatchell. Peter Tatchell is a human rights activist and the founder of the Peter Tatchell Foundation. Peter has just returned from Qatar, where he staged the very first protest for LGBTQI rights. Welcome, Peter.
1: Very pleased to join you.
0: It's pretty amazing. Um, you have just staged the very first um, public protest in Qatar, a very um, conservative police state. Um, Tell us why, now?
1: The World Cup is happening in Qatar in just three weeks. Um, Qatar wants to airbrush its appalling human rights record and just have a World Cup that will focus on sport. Uh, It's doing this to try and burnish its international reputation and to bat away criticisms of its human rights record. I felt it was really important to go to Qatar to shine a spotlight on the abuse of the human rights of LGBT plus people, women, and migrant workers. I did this in response to requests by LGBT plus Qataris. They want protest and media coverage to expose what their country is doing to their community. Um, so I was really going there to amplify their concerns and to ensure that LGBT plus rights is part of the conversation uh, in the lead up to and during the World Cup.
0: Mm. You are the founder of the Peter Tetchell Foundation, uh, which is based in the UK, and your whole life you have dedicated for human rights.
1: Well, first let me say that I was born in Australia and I cut my teeth on campaigning in this country Uh, against the death penalty at the time of the hanging of Ronald Ryan in Melbourne in 1967, uh, in the battle for Aboriginal indigenous rights, and uh, against the Australian involvement in the Vietnam War. So the tactics and methods I used were honed here in Australia, and I've since taken them to Britain and around the world. So I pay great tribute to my colleagues in Australia who who taught me the ABC of activism. my foundation is a very small NGO based in London. Um, we do about 50% of our work on LGBT plus rights and 50% on other human rights. Uh, about half of it is UK based and about half of it is supporting uh, campaigners in other countries. Um, we are very small, there's only um, two and a half of us, um, but we punch above our weight. And our focus is to keep public attention on human rights in Britain and around the world, and to support those very many brave, courageous campaigners uh, for a range of issues in different countries, particularly those who are struggling against uh, deeply repressive regimes like Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and so on.
0: Mm. And what is life like as an LGBTQI person in Qatar?
1: LGBT plus Qataris uh, face police harassment just walking in the street or in a shopping mall if they're perceived to be LGBT, you know they are at risk. Um, there are also undercover police entrapment operations using gay dating apps uh, to lure uh, people to rendezvous and then arresting them. Uh, there's also a very hidden history of so-called honor killings of LGBT plus people, mostly by family members who believe that being LGBT is bringing dishonor to the family, and these so-called honor killings are covered up um, by the state authorities, there are no proper investigations or prosecutions. On top of that, uh, both male and female homosexuality is illegal, with penalties up to three years imprisonment, and the case of uh, behavior that is deemed to damage the family's honor, it can be even seven years jail. And then, of course, uh, for Muslims, at least in theory uh, and on paper in the law, it says that gay people can be put to death by stoning. On top of that, Qatar has secret gay conversion centers where LGBT plus people can be detained against their will and subjected to humiliating, degrading, and very damaging, harmful conversion practices in a bid to turn them straight. I know uh, at least one gay man who has been through one of these conversion centers, and he was so traumatized by that experience and by the general repression he suffered in Qatar that he eventually committed suicide. That is the reality of life for LGBT plus people in Mm -hmm. Qatar. You know, they are constantly on edge, looking over their shoulders and in fear of arrest and worse. Mm
0: What do you say to the critiques um, about respecting their cultures?
1: Well, of course, you know, the idea of respecting a culture is a very easy way to evade responsibility for supporting human rights and the human rights defenders who are championing those rights in Qatar and other countries. Um, Qatar is a member of the United Nations, and the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that all people in all countries and cultures are entitled to equal treatment and protection against discrimination. It doesn't say just heterosexual people, it says all people, and that includes LGBTs. So we can never allow um, cultural relativism, the culture of a country, to trump human rights. I defend human rights in Australia, Britain, and across the world for everyone without fear or favor. And that includes in Qatar as well.
0: Absolutely. It is about human rights. And so tell, tell us how did the protest come about? I mean, was there a lot of planning involved? You um, flew from London to Qatar on the way to Sydney. What, what, what happened? You, you staged a protest outside um, the museum mm-hmm. and also um, uh, your friend, colleague, filmed you. Um, uh, so tell us about it.
1: Well, this protest was in response to appeals by some Qataris, particularly human rights defenders, who said that they wanted protests and international media attention on human rights abuses in the run up to the World Cup. So I was responding to their appeal. I was standing in solidarity with their struggle. I wasn't seeking to impose my views, I was supporting their views. Um, The planning has been going on for four months, because we had to take very elaborate evasion procedures to avoid detection by the Qatari security authorities. This country has one of the highest, uh, Qatar has one of the highest levels of state surveillance and digital surveillance of any country in the world. So we had to um, you know, take very, very intense and detailed security procedures to make sure we were not detected and picked up by uh, the police or state security agents.
0: Such so. as the t shirt you're wearing today, you yeah. um, would have been in your luggage. Did they? No, no not in no? my
1: luggage because they that's, can search the luggage. That's okay. So I had to wear the t shirt under a shirt and jacket. Um, I also had to um, leave uh, London without my mobile phone or iPad uh, in case that the luggage even the checked luggage, which had been checked to go on to Sydney, even in case that was intercepted and and checked um, by state agents. Um, In addition, um, the placard I took was carried by my colleague, Simon Harris from the Peter Tatchell Foundation, not by me. And I had a brand new phone, uh, which had no history and no no connections with LGBT issues or Qatar on it. When I arrived in Qatar, um, my story was that I was uh, going to get a flight that night to Sydney. And in the meantime, because I had a 13-hour stopover, I wanted to go out and see the tourist attractions in the city. So I had a tourist guide. I had a little patter about the museums I was going to visit. um, And the uh, immigration uh, person at the desk uh, fell for the story and, and let me in. But I've got to say that From the moment that I arrived at Heathrow Airport I was not able to have any contact whatsoever with Simon who was coming with me. No uh, physical contact, no eye contact, no communications by mobile phones, WhatsApp, or anything, because the digital surveillance is so great that they can match uh, people together through facial recognition technology, through mobile phone records, and so on. Okay. And uh, to go to Qatar, uh, you have to do a, a COVID app called Eteres, but it isn't just a COVID app. It's also spyware that can basically take over your mobile phone and can read all the messages on it, including text messages, email, and voicemails. Um, so right up to the moment of the protest, I had no contact with Simon whatsoever. We went, when we arrived at Qatar Airport, we went through um, security separately, completely separately. Um, we traveled into Qatar by different means. I went on the metro, Simon went by taxi. Um, when we got to the National Museum, which was the planned place for the protest, uh, we kept c- completely apart um, until we had a rendezvous in the Desert Rose Cafe, uh, which is attached to the museum. But even there, we s- sat apart because we, we could have no contact, no visible contact. So what Simon did, he smuggled in, wrapped up in a uh, British newspaper, a placard um, that I was to unfurl. And at a certain point, he was you know, acting as though he's reading the newspaper. Then he got up and went to the toilet and left the newspaper on the adjacent table. Then I feigned that I was... You know, interested in the newspaper, I went over and picked up the newspaper, started reading it, and then discreetly slipped out the placard into my bag. Um, Then we had a bit of a mix-up about where exactly outside the museum we were doing the the protest. So we had to sort of like, uh, Simon left the cafe. I I could sense there was something wrong and some confusion. So Simon left the cafe. I let him go and then followed a bit later. And then in this sort sort of tunnel between two buildings where there was no CTV, we walked past each other and briefly exchanged um, the message verbally in a whisper that we'd meet outside the flagpoles in front of the museum. So that's what I did. Um, for 35 minutes, without interruption, I stood outside the main entrance to the Qatar National Museum on a busy road by a busy roundabout with a placard which said, Qatar arrests, jails, and subjects LGBTs to, quote, conversion. Um, I was astonished that I was allowed to do that for over half an hour.
0: And did, what, what did people who walked by, did they, did they comment? Did they say anything?
1: Well, people were visibly shocked and surprised because protests are not allowed in Qatar. You know, it's forbidden. You can end up in jail. And indeed, at one point, uh, a, a woman came past and expressed horror on her face and came up to me and said, you shouldn't be doing this. Put that placard away. If the police catch you, you'll end up in prison. Um, But I just said to her, you know, I'm taking a stand against human rights abuses. You know, I'm prepared to take that risk. Um, In the meantime, Simon, my colleague from a distance, was discreetly photographing and videoing what I was doing. Uh, His imperative was to not get arrested so he could be able to upload the photos and videos. What happened was that um, after about 35 minutes, uh, state security uh, officials arrived in three unmarked white land cruisers uh, and got on their mobile phones, started photographing me with the placard, and then summoned police. Uh, Police arrived in a separate vehicle, and then um, they basically detained me, took my placard, and then noticed, one of them noticed in the distance, that Simon was photographing or filming. So they went over to him and grabbed his mobile phone and deleted all the photos and videos of the protest. But fortunately, just before they did that, he'd uploaded some of them and sent them to London. He, he, he actually became the main focus of the police um, because they were terrified that these images would get out around the world. So they went through his passport, photographing every single page about all the place, countries he's visited. They photographed all his documents uh, that he had on him and they did the same t- to me and my passport and my boarding pass for Sydney um, all this time we were, we were told very clearly that you know such protests are not permitted in Qatar so they were being very upfront mm-hmm. that protests are not allowed um, but we were not taken to a police station we were detained on the pavement up by this busy road we were not free to leave um, we weren't free to continue the protest um, and we had to just wait and wait until they sort of decided what to do with us. And clearly, they were very thrown because they were not used to dealing with protests. You know, protests don't happen in Qatar, so they had to phone higher ups to try and sort out um, what to do with us. Um, obviously, uh, eventually, being aware that the media spotlight was on Qatar in the run of the World Cup, they decided to treat us quite leniently. Um, in fact, we. Um, You know, it's it's always a good trick to smile and shake hands with the officers. That diffuses the tension and it makes it more difficult for them to get aggressive and and threatening. Uh, And, you know, in the end, we had quite an amiable conversation. It it was firm but polite. Um, Finally, uh, after 49 minutes of being detained, um, we were told that we were free to go. But the advice was that uh, we should go to the airport and get our flight. I got the distinct impression that that was not exactly a threat, but th- that we should follow that advice, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I have to ask you, were you and Simon scared?
1: I was, I, I was, I was terrified because yeah. I knew that there's a history of people trying to protest and ending up spending quite a long time in prison, um, also often being beaten up by the police and security services as well. And conditions in Qatari prisons are not anywhere near what we would expect in Western countries. So that was not a prospect that I was looking forward to. Um, I was so nervous. I I was nervous about, first of all, being found out and the, the protest failing. And secondly, about the potential adverse consequences for staging the protest. So, you know, I had a very intense and strong tension headache from all the stress, um, my stomach was churning over. Even though it was a warm day, I felt quite chilly. Um, and uh, on top of that, you know, I was so nervous. I had the urge to defecate and urinate. I just had to hold hold everything in. Um, but you know, I had the protection of a foreign, pa- a Western passport, and the intervention of the British consular staff. Uh, that gave me a protection. Uh, from a potentially much more dangerous outcome, and of course that's not something that um, Qatari people have. Mm.
0: Now, you obviously take those risks. You have taken those risks over your um, life in in various other protests that you've done. Are you what the reason is? Obviously, you would you you you're fighting for an outcome, for a positive outcome, uh, for the Qatar LGBTQI plus people. Mm -hmm. Um, What has the reaction been from FIFA so far?
1: FIFA has been totally silent. This is absolutely shameful. They said when they granted Qatar the right to host the World Cup that it would be on the basis that there were going to be reforms. To date. In the last 12 years there have been no reforms at all on the rights of women or LGBT plus people. Not a single reform at all. There have been some reforms in terms of migrant workers' rights, but nowhere near enough. Uh, We know that um, in the case of women, uh, they still require permission from a male guardian in order to marry, get certain jobs, and to study and travel abroad, um, it's very difficult for a Qatari woman to get a divorce. It's very easy for men. Um, you know, when it comes to inheritance, um, you know, a Qatari daughter is worth half the value of inheritance compared to a Qatari son. Um, and in child custody cases, in law, the father always maintained legal custody of children, no matter how, how unfit and how unworthy he might be. This is enshrined patriarchy and misogyny. Mm. And uh, in the case of migrant workers, um, at least 6,500 have died in the last 12 years, 6,500. And many of the families are still waiting for compensation. Migrant workers tell us that even today, many of them are owed unpaid wages. Um, they are forced to live in overcrowded slum hostels and uh, they often refuse permission to change jobs to escape abusive employers. You know This is in complete violation of international labor rules and regulations. I was absolutely inspired by the response of the Australian football team, the Socceroos, who made a public statement supporting the decriminalization of homosexuality in Qatar. And the rights of migrant workers. That is the gold standard. I hope that other national teams will make the same kind of declaration. I'm also hopeful that during the post-football match press conferences, that every captain of the national team will make a statement supporting the rights of LGBTs, women, and migrant workers. That would be a fantastic way of keeping the pressure on the Qatari regime and letting hundreds of millions of people around the world know about these human rights issues.
0: And how can people support this campaign right now? There is a hashtag, Qatar anti-gay?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it'd be great if people can just pile on, use the hashtag to pick up on the kinds of issues that I've highlighted so we can amplify this across the world and keep doing it on your social media uh, until and during the World Cup. That's a great way that we can all have an impact to keep human rights on the agenda during this football tournament, which should have never, ever been given to Qatar, given its appalling human rights record. You know, there can be no normal sporting relations with an abnormal regime like Qatar. It is a homophobic, sexist and racist dictatorship.
0: Mm. And what, are, what is your, your website, social media handles, so people can follow your work?
1: Well, the hashtag is Qatar anti-gay. Uh, you can go to my Peter Tatchell Foundation website, which is petertatchellfoundation.org. Um, if you're interested, in the top right-hand corner there's a little button which says Join Us. If you give us your email address, we will send your weekly um, Human Rights Bulletin on a range of, of LGBT plus and other human rights issues. Most of them very serious, but we always try to include a quirky, funny one to give you a laugh as well. And that's totally free. There's no charge. And if people are generous and feel able to, next to the join us button is the donate button. And we're always grateful to receive um, donations from well-wishers because we get no organizational or government funding at all. We depend entirely on the goodwill and donations of well-wishers.
0: Mm. Well, Peter, we're so glad that you and Simon are back safe. Or arrived safely in Sydney, and of course you hear that many times, but you are an inspiration for many, and you put your life on the line for creating change. So thank you.
1: I just want to add, though, that you know I am the messenger, not the message. I'm using my platform to shine a light on these LGBT plus and other human rights abuses. And I'm just one of many tens of thousands of people across the world who are doing this. You know, It's not me, it's our collective effort that makes the change. Uh, So I've done my bit, but so have many millions of others, and together we have made this world a bit better. You know, there's still much to be done Mm. for LGBT plus people in many, many countries. You know, there's nearly 70 countries that still criminalize same-sex relations, Uh, 11 still have the death penalty, Um, you know, more than two thirds of the Commonwealth or about two thirds of the Commonwealth um, have criminalization of LGBT plus same-sex relations. Um, that's unconscionable in the 21st century. So the battle continues. And, mm. you know, I'm 70 now. I've been doing this for 55 years. I tend to carry on for another 25 years. And maybe I'll retire when I'm 95. But, you know, <laughs> there are so many battles to still fight. And what keeps me going and being prepared to take these risks is that I'm so inspired by brave, heroic campaigners in other countries um, who are taking far greater risks than I am they're risking their lives and their liberty. And we know of many LGBT plus pa- campaigners in, in many countries who have been jailed and some have even been badly beaten or even killed. Uh, I think of David Kato in, in Uganda or Fanny Ann Eddie in Sierra Leone. They paid with their lives for their heroic inspirational activism. So I walk in their shadows and, and I'm so proud to be part of this global movement and so proud to think that our collective effort is challenging and rolling back homophobia, biphobia and transphobia. You know, there are setbacks, there is backlash, but overall the global trend is towards ever greater progress and, you know, we are winning. And the backlash that does exist in some countries is indication that we are making progress. We're pushing at the boundaries. We are challenging the orthodoxy and that's why there is backlash and it's terrible. But it's a sign that we are winning.
0: But mm. great words to finish off this interview. Thank you, Peter.
1: Yeah, well, thank you.
0: If you enjoy today's discussion with Peter, make sure to support the Peter Tatchell Foundation on petertatchellfoundation.org. And if you like to hear more from Queer Conversation, make sure to follow us on Lotl Media. And you can also head to our website, lotl.com, where you will find 30 years of history of LOTL magazine. My name is Silke Bader and thank you for your company.